back to another horror wine on crime featuring KK and Lou. Oh, I love that intro. <laughs> uh, a little over the top. I like it. I like it. You sound like a um, a radio personality. <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble. Hey guys, welcome back to 102.47 <laughs> HWC. Spooky place to be. <laughs> Late night. Hello, talk. <laughs> HWC. You know, I always thought that. Like, I wonder, there's no true crime radio stations, like, at night. I know. They have, I know there's a, it's not true crime, but it used to scare me. My dad used to listen to it. He still listens to it. But when I was a kid and I would hear him, like, listening to it late at night, it would scare me because this guy would talk about, like, aliens and like witches and like I don't know a bunch of stuff like that and it was super it's cool now to me I can't think of what his name is but he's had like a show for years and he's got like this really um deep cool voice and he has callers was it the guy that hosted pillow talk uh I I don't think so I think it he has just his own show where they talk about like weird shit <laughs> I was like, maybe I should call, you know, someone in Detroit. What does it take for me and Crystal to work midnights doing a radio station? Like right? people could call in and ask questions live. Ooh, that'd be cool. Or call in with their stories. But then again, they might be thinking like, well, what if little kids are listening? But if you did it at night, you know. Yeah, then they probably wouldn't be. And if they were, then, you know, that's not on us. <laughs> Which ding 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 brings me back because I don't know if you've ever I'm sure you have because you hang out with my family a lot. And, um, but have you ever heard Charlotte call me? She's always like, Mother, yeah, hey, mother. So today, you know what I played for her? Danzig mother. You don't know it, do you? No, I hate to say it. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> Because it's been, there's been more and more recently you brought stuff up and I'm like, I don't know what that is. Is that a song also? Yes. And I'm really scared that you're going to make me sing. And I definitely don't want to be able to. Oh, sing for us, Lo. Sing for us. (laughs) We want to hear it. (laughs) And it's just funny because we're talking about it. And uh, the lyrics is mother. Tell your children not to hear my words, what they mean, what they say. Huh. And I was thinking, you know, if you're talking to true crime, tell your kids not to hear our words. You know? Oh, gotcha. I see Maybe what you did that, there. That was just a total fail. I'm feeling like it, it didn't. It's I f- it's my fault because I don't know what it is. <laughs> if I knew what it was, I would be more like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So they might come out a little staticky because for some reason when our phones get too close, it makes a weird noise. So 
Hopefully when we hear it back, it's not as staticky. Yeah. <laughs> I um, see though. Okay. Yeah. I, I've never heard that. Okay. Well, it's a popular song. It gives good, probably, gives rocker vibes. You were young and probably when it was very popular. Okay. Um, Cause I used to listen to it at the bars and you were probably still like in middle school. <laughs> um, but every time Charlotte's like mother, I'm like, you like thinking really that song? Play- yes. <laughs> it sets you off getting the song stuck in your head every time she says it. <laughs> Look, you just grow my playlist, you know? You just add to my repertoire of uh, of songs and knowledge, so. I know, I got you hooked on Bone uh, Thugs and Harmony now. Yeah. Guys, if you didn't uh, listen to last week's episode, go listen to it. Busy, um, busy bone. Busy okay. bone. Yeah, after we recorded that episode, uh, we ended up watching, which we kind of talked about, and we said we would give your our thoughts or whatever. But we watched uh, Hocus Pocus two after that, late, a little bit later to the game, probably than most people watching it. But I, it was good in my opinion. I liked it, but um, it wasn't like amazing for me. Do you know what I mean? I feel like the hype was more than the actual movie. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie. We started it late and I'm old. There was times where I was kind of doing the head nod and my eyes were rolling. Dozing off. Like, oh, dear God. So I was like, I got to get a snack or something to wake up. <laughs> um, I thought it was cute. But I feel like it was like they're reaching out to like a young generation. Like they were reaching for like ages first grade through maybe middle school, sixth grade, you know, like they were trying to get a new, a new line of kids. You know what I mean? To where Hocus Pocus is. Yes. It's a kid family movie, but I feel like the people that watch it now, honestly are like our age that are into it. Yeah, so I feel like they, I agree, and I feel like they should have, since the original fans are the ones that were probably the most excited to see it, I feel like they should have catered more towards that age demographic than to a younger, like, trying to make get the younger generation a part of it or whatever, you know, which is nice to do, but I feel like they should have catered more towards, like, the uh, original fans and not made it so young, yeah, I did like that they had Billy Butcherson as a main character. He was big in it because um, he's one of my favorites. I got the the little doll guy downstairs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like that they um, intertwined some of the old stuff. Like she did her amok amok again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just some of the old stuff. Um but I mean, it was cute. It was definitely worth watching. And if I had young ones, it'd probably be something I, you know, I wouldn't care to watch again with them. Like I would be like, okay, that's fine, you know. Right. But it's not one for me personally. I'm going to stick to the original one every year. Yeah, that one was definitely one and done for me. I probably won't watch it again. I mean, I w- not that I wouldn't, but I just won't ever like be like, ooh, I'm in the mood to watch Hocus Pocus too. Right. <laughs> Some of the scenes, you know, were funny and. You know, I don't think it was like a horrible or bad movie, but yeah, it was just kind of not geared towards uh, towards us. 
but I loved um, seeing the original the original three come back together. That was exciting. Yes. Um. So I was listening to our homie Dax Shepard today because I do every day. So shout out, what up, Dax? Shout out, Dax. Um, and I had a ding, ding, ding moment. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, because. Um, well, again, if you guys didn't listen to our Halloween episode, uh, where Kay introduced us to the six most haunted places in the world, the Queen Mary was one of them on there, and he did a show, you probably forgot when we talked about that we were going to do one, but he did a show um, about ghosts, and the lady on there started talking about when she was on on the queen mary and she heard the kids laughing on the upper deck by the pools yep see that guys so it's true it's straight facts coming from dax shepherd's podcast you know so you know you can uh trust our source our facts because <laughs> she's if she's saying she heard you know kids above them on the deck in the middle of the night and that's what reports other people have said in the past it's like okay I fully believe that uh, that ship is haunted. Yeah. So if you listen to our show and then you listen to Dax, you'd be like, yo, hey, Corona Crime just did a haunting one. And they talked about the same thing you talked about. Did you know? And then he'll go listen to it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Just saying, just saying, and then he'll saying. finally talk to us. <laughs> talk about, I just talked to him earlier. What the heck? You're friends with him and you leave me out of it? <laughs> kidding kidding. well i talked to monica okay (laughs) um yeah i've been at i think update i think the last time i kind of talked about it i hadn't listened to dex in a while very shameful but i finally made the phone space phone storage space or whatever and i could re-download spotify because he's only on spotify so (laughs) i'm back on there and i've been binging and uh yeah I, I listened to the ghost one too those are like so funny the anonymous mm-hmm. episodes they're they're kind of maybe my favorite actually instead of like the cele- like I like the celebrity interviews and stuff too but I think they might be a little bit above that for me right now yeah they're good they're good yeah um so Lo do you want to tell the people what we're drinking tonight Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are drinking. Yes, way rose. 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 Yes, way rose. Um and it's it's sparkly and pink. It's pretty. <laughs> it makes me smile. We just got it for the aesthetic, you know, cute cute bottle of wine um but no rosé is always good so i feel like rosé never disappoints me mm-hmm. we like the sparkles yeah exactly so i seen one today when i was walking at meyer uh, i didn't stop to look at it but i'm going to it's called jolly juice there's a wine i'm like i'm gonna have to read into that to see what that is because it just sounds fun it sounds christmasy like you know well, yeah it was with the christmas it was a christmas wine okay oh my gosh man they got the christmas wines out i was at tj maxx um and they got so much 
cute Christmas things now. And I'm like, oh, I'm not ready for Christmas. I'm I'm usually not one to decorate until after Thanksgiving. But um, I always get so tempted because they put the stuff out like literally the day after Halloween. <laughs> Shoot, with you moving, it might be easier for you to just decorate your shit and Christmas stuff now. I know, right? Seriously. <laughs> so then I can just be like completely settled and not even have to worry about it in a month from now. <laughs> right. Um, so today's episode, kind of a funny story to preface this, whatever. I was just researching, looking for stories to do. Um, I don't even remember how I came across this one. If I saw it in an article or something, I'm not sure, but I have been watching The Watcher on Netflix and I was like, I don't know how many episodes in, maybe like three or four episodes in maybe. And a new character got introduced into the show and I'm just watching whatever. And then that, that character's storyline starts playing out and I'm like, huh, it's funny. That's kind of like the, it's kind of like the guy I just researched my story for. And then something else happened and I'm like, oh, he did that too. And then another thing happened and I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) And then finally the kind of wrap up of that guy's story happened. And I was like, okay, this has to be the same guy because there's no way all those coincidences happen in a row and it's not the same guy. So then I researched it and it was based off of this guy, um, John List, who we're going to be talking about today, but they changed his name in the show to John Graff. Um, And he... I was like very confused also when I was watching it because if you guys have been watching The Watcher, um, centers around a family who moved to a new house and they're receiving a ton of creepy letters from somebody that they don't know who's basically stalking their house and, you know, they're threatening letters and scary and all that. And I was like so confused because I'm like, John List, I don't. I didn't read anything about him being a part of this house at all. So I looked into it more and they kind of intertwined the two stories just for the entertainment purposes of the show. But John List actually has nothing to do with the real Watcher house. Um, So that's a completely whole other story. Um, So if you guys do watch that, don't be like, hey, KK and Woe didn't mention anything about this house or these letters or anything because they're separate in real life, okay? <laughs> so I'm just prefacing with that. <laughs> so but yes. He's still creepy. Oh, for sure. Still very creepy. So you'll still get the, the creepy factor to it. And it is still a good show on Netflix. I gotta finish it um i watched it under kk's um recommendation and also because i wanted to know more information about what she was about to talk about tonight and then before we got on she's like okay cool but and then she told me what she just told you guys um but it's still definitely a good show to check out on netflix yeah, I like it. I still haven't finished because I suck at I take 10 years to finish shows because I'm the worst because I watch multiple shows at a time. So then I get distracted and I'll like bop from one show to another. Um, so I'm still not even done with it. And I literally started it like over two weeks ago. 
Oh my God, there's only seven episodes, Kay. I know, I know. But okay, but I'm watching it with with the mom. So that does make a difference. It does, because I could lay in bed and watch seven episodes in one night. Don't even get me started. I could definitely do that. So (laughs) And I'm almost done with Kurobakai, which I'm loving it. And I have to uh, finish it. Normally I could finish it, but I started it kind of late. Okay. But I do plan on knocking it out here probably tomorrow. I know. You always talk about that one, so I might have to check it out. Um, I like it. It's nostalgic to me. But anyways, America's Most Wanted, one of the men. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) So tonight we're talking about John List. Um, he is one of America's most wanted men. And so he was born in Bay City, Michigan. So kind of bringing it back to our Michigan, Michigan uh, roots. I don't know. <laughs> We're repping Michigan again. <laughs> so, yeah, he was born in Bay City, Michigan, and he was the only child of German American parents, John Frederick and Alma Barbara Florence List. So, like his father, John was a devout Lutheran and a Sunday school teacher. So he was very, very religious. He centered a lot of his life around religion because it was like a huge, uh, important factor in his life. The year before his father's death in 1944, John graduated from Bay City Central High School, and in 1943, he enlisted in the United States Army and served as a laboratory technician during World War II. After his discharge in 1946, John enrolled at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, where he earned a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in accounting, and was commissioned a second lieutenant through ROTC. Um, So, you know, he was on a pretty successful pathway in life. He was really into his religion. He was in the army growing his rankings there. And he was also getting multiple degrees um, at college. So, you know, in a lot of people's eyes, he was he was doing pretty good. In November of 1950, As the Korean War escalated, John was recalled to active military service. So at Fort Eustis in Virginia, he met Helen Morris Taylor. She was the widow of an infantry officer killed in action in Korea, and she lived nearby with her daughter, Brenda. So they met and they, you know, hit it off, started dating, and... John and Helen eventually ended up getting married on December 1st, 1951 in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, And they eventually moved the family to Northern California. The army kind of realized John's accounting skills, like his background, getting his degree in college and all of that. And they ended up reassigning him to the finance corps And after completion of his second tour in 1952, John worked for an accounting firm in Detroit and then as an audit supervisor at a paper company in Kalamazoo where his three children were born. Uh, By 1959, 
John had risen to general supervisor of the company's accounting department. However, his wife, Helen, she was an alcoholic and just over time she had become increasingly unstable just with her drinking and with her moods and everything that kind of came along with that. In 1960, Brenda, so that's Helen's um, daughter, married and left the household and John moved with the remainder of his family members to Rochester, New York to take a job with Xerox. Uh, When he was there, he eventually became director of accounting services, and in 1965, he accepted a position as vice president and comptroller at a bank in New Jersey City, New Jersey, and moved with his wife, children, and mother into Breeze Knoll, which was a 19-room Victorian mansion at 431 Hillside Avenue in Westfield. So... Yeah, he was doing pretty good. He obviously became vice president, and I'm sure that comes with a nice salary with it. So they were able to afford this 19-room mansion, um, which personally, I don't think I would want to live in that big of a house. Like, my house is tiny, and I get freaked out by noises. So the thought of living in, like, a giant 19-room Victorian mansion actually would scare the crap out of me. (laughs) So on November 9th, 1971, John murdered his entire immediate family using his own nine millimeter Steyr 1912 semi-automatic handgun and his father's Colt 22 caliber revolver. While his children were at school, he shot his wife, Helen, who was 46 at the time, in the back of the head, and then his mother, Alma, who was 84, above the left eye. As his daughter, Patricia, who was 16, and younger son, Frederick, 13, arrived home from school, List shot each of them in the back of the head. So this was all very um, unexpected. Nobody really would have guessed for him to do this because everything seemed to be pretty good. I mean, obviously I know his wife was an alcoholic and that was creating issues. Um, But for him to just snap and shoot all of his family members was pretty, pretty wild and very unexpected. So after he shot all of them, he decided to make himself lunch because what do you do after killing your entire family? You go make a sandwich, right? Um, well, after lunch, John drove to his bank to close both of his and his mother, mother's bank accounts. And then he drove to Westfield High School to watch his older son, John, who was 15, play in a soccer game. So his family members are just laying dead, murdered in their house. And he's his other son has no idea playing soccer and he's just sitting there watching him. So after driving his son, John, back home after the game, John then shot him repeatedly because as misfire evidence showed, his son attempted to defend himself, um, but he didn't, you know, he wasn't successful in that because his son ended up dying as well. 
So John placed the bodies of his wife and children on sleeping bags in the mansion's ballroom. He left his mother's body in her apartment, which was in the attic. So then John decided to write to his pastor. So he wrote a five-page letter, and it was found on the desk in his study. And John claimed that he saw too much evil in the world, and he had killed his family to save their souls. I feel like that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I'm not, like, super religious, personally, but that just... That just makes no gosh darn sense to me, but you know. And you said that he he was never in the house from the watcher, right? No, that was that was a different house, yeah. Okay. Cause I was just wondering, like, I know it was part of the show, but when he got all the information about this guy, when the lady, his PI was talking to him about it, yeah. He asked. Did the house make him go crazy? Like, was he before that, before the house? But so he wasn't in that house. Yeah, so. it was a different house. Um, also, it was also in New Jersey and also a really big house. So I think that's kind of why they like intertwine the two to just to make the but show. But did they say if this one was haunted, this house too, or did it? Um, I don't know if this house was haunted. I nothing said that it was. They okay, kind so of he just, just went crazy. Yeah, they just kind of said that he you know snapped and he was so religious that he thought the world was so evil that he had to like take the lives of and i know he was going through uh personal stuff which we'll talk a little bit soon about more of it but also you know his wife was not being the easiest to deal with so i think he just kind of snapped from like the pressure or whatever okay gotcha um so yeah he after he wrote the letter put their bodies in the ball ballroom he then uh cleaned up the various crime scene areas and he removed his own picture from all of the family photographs in the house turned a radio to a religious station and then left the house the murders were not discovered until December 7th. So it had been like a month since anybody had checked the house. Um, I guess the family in general was pretty reclusive. So it wasn't like super odd for people not to see them a ton. Um, and then in part, there were notes sent by John to the children's schools prior and part-time jobs claiming that the children would be visiting their sick grandmother um, in North Carolina for a few weeks. So he kind of had like a plan to not get caught super soon. You know, people thought they were out of town. And Helen's mother was sick and had canceled a visit to Westfield because of it. Um, But if she had made the trip, which John later says, she would have been his sixth victim. So I mean, thankfully for her, she didn't end up going there um, because she would have ultimately been been killed as well. Um, but yeah, it had been like a month since since he killed them that they were found. And John also stopped milk deliveries. He stopped mail deliveries and newspaper deliveries so so that there wouldn't be like like pretty much any attention coming to the house at all. 
Neighbors noticed that all of the mansion's rooms were illuminated day and night with like zero activity within the house. Um, And after light bulbs began burning out one by one, they obviously were like, okay, wait, something, something spishy, spishy, fishy, fishy is going on. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) yep. (laughs) So they finally caught on and they called the police to be like, hey, can you check out this house? Because something doesn't seem right here. So officers entered through an unlocked window leading to the basement, and that's where they discovered the family's bodies. Now, Westfield, there were very few violent crimes that had been there, like even been recorded since 1963. Um, But after this happened, it received national attention as the site of one of the most notorious felonies in New Jersey since the kidnapping and murder of the Lindbergh baby. So lots of people were in on this story and, you know, were basically like, where the F is this dude? Let's find him. And a nationwide manhunt was essentially launched and police investigated hundreds of leads without success And since John, if you guys remember, he cut out himself out of all the family photos, there was nothing, there was like no photo evidence of him, um, you know, so police were kind of having an issue figuring out who he was. And this was in, you know, like the 60s, 70s time, so it wasn't like he had a Facebook or anything that where pictures would be posted so definitely it was hard for them to uh continue with the investigation so the family car was found it was parked at john f kennedy airport in new york city but police found no evidence that john had boarded a flight at all um so he just parked the car there i guess probably wanting them to think that he flew somewhere um elma's body so his mother was flown to frankenmuth michigan and interred at the saint lorenz lutheran cemetery um and helen and her three children were buried at fairview cemetery in westfield their house their mansion breeze knoll remained empty until it was destroyed by a fire in august of 1972 nine months after the murders. Although the destruction was officially ruled arson, it still remains unsolved with no suspects. So in my mind, I'm kind of wondering if John List was the one who burnt the house down, you know? I mean, it could have been obviously a ton of other people or different factors, but I was just kind of like, hmm, I wonder if if he's the one that burnt it down. Get rid of all the evidence. Right, exactly. Because clearly he did not he did not want to be found at all. And uh, he was doing a good job at not getting found. So destroyed along with the home was the ballroom's stained glass skylight, which was rumored to be a signed Tiffany original worth at least $100,000 at the time, which I guess in 2021, that would be equivalent to $650,000. So, uh, 
lots of money burnt down there. Mm. <laughs> um, and a new house was built on, on the site in 1974. So back to 71, as the FBI later discovered, John List had traveled by train from New Jersey to Michigan and then to Colorado. He settled in Denver in early 1972 and took an accounting job under the name Robert Peter um, or Bob Clark. One of his college classmates, um, he like used that name. I guess his name was Bob Clark. And so he was like, well, I guess I'll just use that. But um, later, the real Bob Clark said that he never even knew who John List was. So I don't really know if John just knew who he was, but he had no idea. Um, But from 1979 to 1986, he was the comptroller at a paper box manufacturer outside Denver, um, and he joined a Lutheran congregation and ran a carpool for shut-in church members. Which I just have to wonder, like, when his, like, church friends all, (laughs) like, found out about him like murdering his entire family do you know how appalled they probably had to be that like this man was like so dedicated to his religion and then they're like oh my god he's also like pure freaking evil john that's not very christian like (laughs) we're gonna have to ask you to leave the church john i'm so sorry but we don't allow murder (laughs) we don't allow murderers in our church in our congregation At one religious gathering, he met an Army PX clerk named Dolores Miller and ended up marrying her in 1985. So fast forward a few years in February of 1988, the couple moved to a house in the Brander Mill neighborhood of Midlothian, Virginia, where John, who was still going by the name of Bob Clark, resumed work as an accountant at a small accounting firm called Madrea Joyner, Kirkham, and Woody. In 1972, List was proposed as a suspect in the, ready? Ding, ding, ding. D.B. Cooper air piracy case because of the timing of his disappearance. Um, So he disappeared two weeks prior to the airline hijacking. If you guys don't know, we did a full-on episode of D.B. Cooper Um, He hijacked a plane, stole a bunch of money, and was never found, never figured out. Um, I really like that episode, so go back and take a listen. Um, But yeah, so John List was actually a top suspect in that case, which is just so random and weird. Um, But multiple matches to the hijacker's description and the reasoning that a fugitive accused of mass murder has nothing to lose um that's kind of why they were thinking that it was him um john was questioned by fbi investigators after his capture but he denied any involvement in the cooper case and i don't think that he was db cooper (laughs) personally i just i don't i don't think that he murdered his family and then hijacked a plane and then stole a, t- a shit ton of money. That would be too insane. You know what I mean? Like, that would be too many insane events happening all at once. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get, I don't get that vibe at all either. Like, he doesn't seem like a jumping out of an airplane kind of dude. No, not at all. 
which yeah yeah, yeah no I, I I don't think he uh he is the DB Cooper um while his name is still occasionally mentioned in Cooper articles and documentaries no evidence directly you know implicates him and the FBI doesn't even consider him a suspect anymore um so he's pretty much scratched off that list which is probably the right decision um because yeah i don't don't see him being that so in may of 1989 the 18 year old crime was recounted on the fox television program ready another ding 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 in america's most wanted um, it was his it was the first year on the air and they kind of played this story and he was the featured most wanted man. Um, and I say the ding 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 guys, because last week we talked about America's most wanted also. So, again, go listen to that one. But the segment featured an age progressed like clay bust sculpted by forensic artist Frank Bender, which turned out to definitely bear a close resemblance to John List's actual appearance. And on June 1st, less than two weeks after the broadcast had aired, John was arrested at a Richmond accounting firm after a Denver neighbor recognized the description and alerted authorities. It's always a neighbor. It is. It is always a neighbor, man. (laughs) But I'm glad they got him. Yeah. All thanks to... America's Most Wanted. Thank you, John Walsh. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So John continued after they were like looking into the neighbor's call and everything. John continued to stand by his alias, Bob Clark, for several months, even after his 1989 extradition to Union County, New Jersey. Finally, faced with evidence that they just really could not argue, including a fingerprint match with John's military records, as well as evidence found at the crime scene. He eventually confessed his true identity on February 16th of 1990, which it's like, did he really confess or was it kind of like, obviously it's you? So it's like he kind of had to say, okay, it's me, you know, because like fingerprints don't lie. So at trial, List testified that his financial difficulties reached crisis level in 1971 when he was laid off with the closure of the Jersey City Bank. To avoid sharing this humiliating development with his family, John just engaged in the same routine and basically like got dressed in the morning like he was going to work. He left his home on schedule and pretending like he was just still going to work. So his family had no idea that he lost his job and that he was having all these money problems. He just was like leaving every day acting like he was going to work even though he wasn't. Um, Instead, you know, he would spend the day at job interviews or at the Westfield train station reading newspapers or whatever. Basically, he felt like doing that day um, until it was time to go home. Now, he wasn't completely flat broke. He diverted money from his mother's bank accounts secretly to avoid default on his mortgage of the giant mansion that he had purchased not 
too long before that. So as the year progressed, the family's financial problems became more strained. John encouraged his children to seek part-time work. Um, He kind of said it was to teach them maturity and responsibility, but in actuality, it was just to help keep the family uh, afloat financially. And he was also dealing with his wife's alcoholism and her untreated, I don't know if I, how to say this correctly, but tertiary syphilis. Um, So obviously it's a specific kind of syphilis. Um, And she had contracted that from her first husband and did not tell him about it. It was, she concealed it for 18 years. So he did not know. Um, So clearly he was exposed to that. Um, According to trial testimony, Helen had pressured John into marriage by falsely claiming that she was pregnant and then insisted that they marry in Maryland, which did not require the premarital syphilis test mandated in most other states at the time. Which when I learned that, I thought that was interesting that at the time, a lot of states made you test for syphilis before you got married. That's weird, right? <laughs> like weirdly specific. Yeah, um, I have to get no tests done. Yeah, I. Place, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I had never heard that before, but I guess that was a thing back then. I don't know. So, through her, you know, health issues, it was progressively deteriorating, and. She said nothing to John or her physicians until 1969 when a thorough workup revealed her condition condition. So I'm sure that was also a lot of added stress to him, not knowing that she had this and knowing that she lied to him about it. And then also like kind of coerced him into marriage and all of that. Um, By then, progression of the disease combined with her excessive alcohol consumption Um, had, according to testimony, quote, transformed her from an attractive young woman to an unkempt and paranoid recluse. Um, And they said that she frequently and often publicly humiliated John, comparing his sexual prowess unfavorably with that of her first husband, Um, which I feel like, ouch, that she's like, just go out there in the public saying this about him. A court-appointed psychiatrist testified that John suffered from obsessive-compulsive personality disorder and that he saw only two solutions to his situation, accept welfare or kill his family and send their souls to heaven. Um, And I guess to John, welfare was an unacceptable option. Um, because he felt like it would expose him and his family to ridicule and it would violate his father's teachings of like authoritary issues, whatever. And yeah, he just decided that killing them was the better option. I feel like, you know, he could have maybe weighed the options a little bit more, but he obviously made his decision. On April 12th of 1990, John List was convicted of five counts of first-degree murder. At his sentencing hearing, he denied direct responsibility for his actions. He says, I feel that because of my mental state at the time, I was unaccountable for what happened. 
I ask all affected by this for their forgiveness, understanding, and prayer. Um, I don't know that you'll get much forgiveness. I don't think you'll get any understanding. <laughs> That's just um, an interesting way to phrase that. And the fact that he kind of didn't take responsibility for it, he still kind of like blamed it on other things. The judge was very unpersuaded by his pleas. I never really met a judge that's like, okay, I get it. You apologized. Yeah. Feel bad. Right. I feel like that there's not, they wouldn't be a good judge if they were like that. Like, do you feel remorse or do you feel scared because you're going to prison? Exactly. Yeah, and this judge was no different. He definitely did not did not uh get swayed by by John's uh attempt at an apology. I don't know. So the judge says John Emil List is without remorse and without honor. After 18 years, 5 months and 22 days, it is now time for the voices of Helen, Alma, Patricia, Frederick and John F List to rise from the grave so he imposed a sentence of five terms of life imprisonment to be served consecutively um, which at the time was the maximum penalty so he got the most that he could get basically now john filed an appeal of his convictions on the grounds that his judgment had been impaired by post-traumatic stress disorder due to his military service he also argued that the letter he left behind at the crime scene which was essentially his confession was a confidential communication to his pastor and therefore inadmissible as evidence um a federal appeals court rejected both arguments i mean i get like the the two arguments like yes a lot of people sadly do suffer from ptsd after serving for the military but he never said that in the original like trial you know so it's like the fact that now he's using that after he got sentenced is like makes me not believe that that was the case and then also i get like the confidentiality matter of like the letter to his pastor but it's like dude at that point you murdered your entire family like they're they can use that freaking letter (laughs) as evidence yeah Um, So John eventually expressed a degree of remorse for his crimes. Finally, um, he says, I wish I had never done what I did, um, which he told Connie Chung in 2002. I've regretted my action and prayed for forgiveness ever since. Which I guess that's kind of showing remorse, but it's just like he still just seems kind of like a little bit unbothered by the entire thing. So when asked why he had not taken his own life when he killed his family, he said that he believed that suicide would have prevented him from going to heaven where he hoped to be reunited with his family. Is that not the most effed up BS that you've ever heard? He didn't want to commit suicide because he didn't think he would go to heaven. Oh, but shooting your entire family is going to send you to heaven. (laughs) You know... I don't know. I don't have words. I don't understand the logic. No, there's I no do logic. know they say when you commit suicide, it is against the law. So you'd be breaking the law. It's illegal to commit suicide. Which 
I mean, I don't, I get it. Like, no, you should not commit suicide, but to say that it's illegal. I mean, once you commit suicide, like you, you can't go to jail. Like, wait, it's illegal to commit suicide. Technically it's illegal to commit suicide. So when people attempt to commit suicide, can they get like charged? Um, I think they get, that's where they get like the mandatory mental health, like, okay. Watch and then depending on, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, I never knew that. That's weird. Like, I think you can get like mandatory, like, mental stay. Okay. Okay. And I'm not talking like trickling waterfalls with spas and, you know, right, right, right. Yeah. Apothecary stuff. It's like, oh, yeah. No, you know, yeah, exactly. Prison cell, you know, yeah. Wow. I, I didn't know that it was illegal but but yeah but yeah I don't understand the logic like yes I'm not gonna kill myself because I want to go to heaven there's a special place in hell for you already for killing your family trust me it wouldn't have mattered yeah I'm like that just makes zero percent sense in my brain he's like oh killing your family is okay like you'll be able to go to heaven but but if you kill yourself, no, that's where we cross the line. Like, that makes no sense. Narcissistic much? Yeah, for real. Um, So John List eventually died of complications from pneumonia at the age of 82 on March 21st, 2008, while he was imprisoned at St. Francis Medical Center in Trenton, New Jersey. In reporting his death, the New Jersey Star-Ledger referred to him as the Boogeyman of Westfield, which is, I think, a very fitting name. Um, so, yeah. Just the Boogeyman. Westfield Boogeyman. Yeah, he was... Um, he was terrible. I mean, I'm, I don't know what else to say. He obviously killed his entire family and... I don't know that he was, I mean, yes, okay, to a certain degree, he was crazy, but I don't know that it was, like, a mental, like, PTSD thing, like he said in his, um, in his appeal, like. No, I feel like he, he'd, I feel like he did snap, um, his wife was an alcoholic who, if it's true what the movie says, he uh, had a hard time. Actually, he didn't. <laughs> he, you know, couldn't perform in the bedroom for her very well. Yeah. Um, and she told everybody, I guess, publicly, like, she would say this out loud to people. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true, if that was just her movie. You know, he thought his daughter dressed like a whore, you know, which she didn't. She was just. 16 you know yeah i don't know Uh, if i don't know if that was true or just part of the show um his mother seemed like she was terrible like you know why didn't you get the promotion john you deserve the promotion john you know like yeah so probably just like let's now i don't know like how you can snap that hard to kill your kids. I mean, not that you should want to kill your wife or your your mother, but I could kind of at least say like, okay, my God, my mother 
snapped on her because she nagged my entire life and now she's living with me and she's wrecking my marriage you know what I mean like all that stuff but your kids I feel like that's a different category like yeah I don't yeah. know it was like but, he just didn't want to deal with it at all anymore and he just wanted to run and create a new life which he did and sadly he did for like so many years so he didn't serve as much time as he should have for this you know he was gone for like 18 or 19 years before they even found him oh wow yeah i feel like he took the the coward's way out he killed his family probably one of the well you can't be my family then nobody can have you type deal Mm -hmm. you know and which is terrible that he couldn't just you know get the divorce and you know move on um but I kind of feel like that's where his head was, like. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, he chose the uh, the darker, uh, more dramatic path than he really needed to. Um, but I'm glad that they eventually caught him, um, because yeah, he deserved he deserved to go to prison. Um, and I'm glad that he died in prison and not living like a free life while his family had to die. Yeah, I'm interested in watching the rest of the series. Hopefully they, you know, touch on that or, you know, show that at the end. Yeah, I know. I'm curious. I don't even know what episode I'm on, but I have at least a couple left. And I know there's only like seven. What is there? You said seven? Yeah, I think I watched four of them, four or five of them. I can't remember. We're probably, yeah, we're probably like at the same spot then. But yeah, that was the story of John List. Um, Crazy, crazy story. But, you know, that's what we do here. (laughs) So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, We appreciate it. And if you have any recommendations, you know what to do. Hit us up. On all the things. All the things. Horror, wine, and crime at everything. (laughs) And I don't think I have anything exciting on my end to report or talk about or Yeah, same. We'll have to we'll have to do something exciting this week so we have an exciting update <laughs> for next week's episode. That's some pressure because I don't have anything coming up. <laughs> or even just um, ooh, you know what? I wanna watch. I heard I was listening I listened to a podcast. Um it's not like whatever it's it's giggly squad if you guys have heard of it but um she was talking about this documentary that she watched and i can't remember what the heck it was called but it sounds so interesting um the wife was like a bodybuilder and she got married to this other bodybuilder guy and he apparently like was like abusing her and then she ended up murdering him and it was this whole thing so Maybe I'll watch that and then I'll give I'll give an update about that. <laughs> and as soon as we get the title of it, we will let you know. I know. I'm like, I'm gonna have to go back and figure out what the heck the title was. But I think she didn't say what it was on, so I don't know if it's on like Netflix or what. So that I'm just gonna have to go back and search for it. <laughs> oh, Crystal. Oh, me and my mem. Me and my memory. <laughs> it was so good. But I don't know the name of it. I know. 
that's where it trips me up you know <laughs> that's where that's where the trouble is <laughs> are you looking it up <laughs> i was gonna try to you got all our you know listeners on uh pins and needles is it yeah. sally mcneil yeah but what's it called sally the killer sally killer sally that's what it's called that's the documentary guys it's called killer sally you're welcome, people. You're welcome. Thank you, Lo, for your research. <laughs> That's what it was. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there's a few of them. I want to go and watch The Devil in Ohio. I've heard it's good. I know. I've heard good things about that. I want to watch that, too. Um, so, I think that's a series, like a docu-series. I think so, too. But, people, if you have recommendations for us to watch, let us know, and we'll we will do our homework. Yes, we love all that. So send it our way. Um, but yeah, thanks again, guys, for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next week with uh, another freaky episode. <laughs> I don't know why I said freaky, but you know, <laughs> spooky, scary. <laughs> we will catch you outside. How about that? How about that? <laughs> and then, no, we got to go. Stay creepy, y'all. Bye. Bye.